Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Today we're going to talk about the difference between Abraham and Isaac, or the model that Abraham set in contrast to Isaac, in the way they approached things, the way they went about things, and so on. So if somebody were to ask you, who is the uh, responsible for the Jewish nation? Why are we here today? Who is the founding father of Judaism? You would automatically say, Abraham. He was the first Jew. He was the founder of monotheism. He taught everybody what it means to believe in God. He was the one that, so to speak, implanted the concepts and the beliefs of monotheism. But of course, that seems like the obvious. However, the Zohar says something very interesting. The Zohar says that the actual revolution that Abraham did in his time began with Abraham and finished with Abraham. What does that mean? That as soon as Abraham passed away, everybody in his time went back to the way they were before him. That means even though he made this whole revolution and got everybody to serve God, but those idolaters, as soon as he passed, they went back to idolatry. And in fact, as soon as Abraham finished his idolatry, so to speak, oh, we got competition here today. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. As soon as Abraham got uh, passed away, all those people that he, so to speak, converted to believe in monotheism and so on, they now moved on to other things as well. But then there's an interesting thing that we find in this week's Torah reading that continues to say. That Abraham, after his time, and where do we see this from? At the end of his life, we talk about Abraham living in the land of the Pelishtim. And then while he was living in the land of the Pelishtim, he dug wells of water. What happened after Abraham passed? Those wells of water that he dug were ultimately filled. So everything that he did was gone. And from there, the commentaries want to say the same thing as anything that everything that Abraham did at his time didn't have any fruition. It's interesting that we find that the prophet says that when Mashiach will come, we will point to Isaac, our forefather, and say, Ki ata avinu, you are our forefather Isaac. Why Isaac? And the Talmud says as follows. When the Talmud explains, the Medrash says on the verse in Isaiah, he says God's going to come to the Jewish children and say, look, you sin. Why you deserve it of coming out of exile? So then God comes to Abraham and says, look, your children sin. Why should they come out of exile? So Abraham says, if they sin, okay, listen. Let them give their life for the name of God and everything will be all right, just like I did. He comes to Jacob and says, Jacob, your children also did things wrong. Am I and your children are doing things wrong? And Jacob says, good, let them give their name for God, just like Joseph did, whatever it may be. God comes to Isaac, second of the forefathers, and says, your children sinned. 
And Isaac looks back at them and says, looks back at God and says, one second. Why are they my children? What are your children? God, you said they're your children. We're our firstborn. Not only that, you're saying they sin. Until 20 years old, you don't count it as a sin because of the two people in the desert, those that were killed, died out because of the sin of the spies. They were only from 20 to 60. So only until 20. So how many do you have left? There's only a, a smaller percentage. From that, you only have half, that, half of the day they're eating, drinking, sleeping. It's only half of the time that there may be sinning. And even so, look, I gave my life, I mount my raya for God. Shouldn't that count for something? And with that, God forgives the Jewish people. And because of that, we are told that God says that the Jewish people are going to point to Isaac, Yitzchak, and say, Ki atavino, you are a father, you are the one that saved. So that's an interesting episode where we see where Yitzchak, so to speak, comes to the front and protects the Jewish people and is there for them. But the question is, what is it in Yitzchak? What is it that Yitzchak had within himself? That he was able to have that courage, that he was able to instill within the Jewish people afforded to him. More than Avram, and more than any other of the forefathers. So if we look at Yitzchak's life, there's something very interesting. Yitzchak, in contrast to the other forefathers, Abraham lived for 175 years. Jacob lived for 137 years, I think it is. Yitzchak lived for 180 years. He lived the longest out of all the forefathers. Yet, I'm sorry, Jacob was 147. Avram was 175, and Yitzchak was 180. Who is the one that the Torah talks the most about? Yaakov. Avram he dedicates a few Torah readings for. Yaakov is the whole last half of part of Genesis, of the, the, the last half of the book of Genesis. Yitzchak, you have a few chapters here, a few chapters there, a few chapters there. And in most cases where it talks about Yitzchak, it's not even talking about Isaac's life. It's more about what Rebekah did to be able to get the blessings to Jacob against Isaac, that Abraham took Isaac, that Isaac was going to be born. About Isaac's life himself, there's very few chapters. The only chapters that talk about Isaac's life is as follows. So to be able to understand a little bit about Isaac's life, let's rewind a little bit. So Avram, as we mentioned, Abraham was in the land of Israel. After he was in the land of Hebron, he also went to the land of Wiravi Melech, if you remember where Sarah was taken away for the first time. And then he returned there. And when he returned there, we read in the last week's story reading, he dug wells. He dug different types of wells, seven different wells. And that's what he did at the end of his life, digging wells, and that's where he planted his motel and giving people places to eat and everything it was. And what happened was, the... Uh, Palishtim at the time. The reason why they were called Palishtim has nothing but to do with Palestinians today. Today, the name Palestinians only came much later. It has no connection to uh, anything of the former Palishtim. The Palishtim of the originals were Egyptians, and because they left their city and they came into the land of Israel, they called them Palishtim, means people that leave their own place and go to someplace else. And that's just a side to the So the Palishtim at the time came fighting with Avram over the wells that he dug. Eventually Avram makes a peace treaty, as we read in last week's story, reading, between Avimelech, the king of the Pishtim, and Avram. After Avram passes away, years pass, Avram then goes back to Hebron. His wife Sarah passes away. He lives out his life in the city of Kiryat Arba in Hebron, gets buried in Hebron. 
that during that time, that's when he was with Hogar. Yeah, after Sarah passed away, he right. was with Hogar, yeah. And then, after Avram passes away, Yitzchak has to go down to the land of Plishtim because of the hunger. Yitzchak comes to Plishtim. Yitzchak now comes there, and he becomes a, uh, uh, what's it called, agriculture. He becomes a farmer, and he starts planting, and he's very successful. So successful that from every seedling he dropped, he made a hundred. He was working on a hundred X. That's how much his profit was. You also we find that Yitzchak was one of the first people that we find that from his prophets he made sure to give uh, 10% earnings, uh, mice. says that he gave 10% of all his earnings. After Yitzchak has become very successful, all of a sudden the Polishtim that are next to him are becoming very jealous. And so look at this guy. This stranger comes amongst us and he's becoming so very successful. Zavi Melech tells him, you know what, do me a favor. Go and someplace else. Don't stay next to us. You're too successful. You're making us jealous. Go live someplace else. So he moves to a city called Gerar. And when he comes to the city of Gerar, he starts digging wells just like his father did. But he digs the first well. The Polishtim come. They take away that well. And it's called Asek. He calls it an argument. He digs another well. They, again, they make a fight. And finally, he digs a third well. And they don't bother. It's called Rechayim. And from there, he digs another three wells eventually calling it in the name seven wells in total, and he calls it in the same names that his father. What is it teaching us about these wells? So some commentators like Nachmanides want to allude to the fact, if you look, the first well that he dug was an argument, the second well was an argument, although only the third one survived. Alludes to the fact that later on the Jewish people in the time of the Holy Temple, the first one would be destroyed, the second one would be destroyed, and only the third one would survive. But still in all, if the interesting on Shmini Atzeres, we said the prayer for rain, and who do we give the credit to the prayer for rain? We pray and we thank God and say, remember the same way to Isaac dug, well, so too we should have rain. What does this have to do with rain? Why is Isaac getting all the credit over here? It seems like that Isaac is the one to get all the different credits. So what's going on here? It, he gets little, very little mention, but he's getting all the credit on one hand. And the answer over here is that Avram, while he was a revolutionary and made an absolute change and transformation and brought about people should look about different things in different ways, there was one problem. Every revolution eventually dies down. You come, you make a tumult, you scream and everything else, and after a while you take it easy, everybody gets used to you, and you're no more uh, uh, anything special. You're nothing anymore. The same idea was also with Abraham. He came, he made a revolution. Everybody heard, who had that look? You gotta believe in God and all the wonderful things. But after a while, okay, it wasn't such a great phenomenon. People went back to doing what they used to do. Some people didn't, some people did. And it was what it was. All of a sudden, Yitzchak comes along. What does Yitzchak do? He takes a different approach. Yitzchak's approach is called a consistent approach. Instead of saying, hoo-ha, making a revolution, Yitzchak would wake up every single morning, go to the wells that he dug and say, God exists, believe in God, this is God that gave it to me. I recognize that God gave me everything I have. He was a matter of absolute consistency. Consistency and persistency, that was Yitzchak's modality. That's what his methodology. It wasn't about making a hua tumul and going from one place to the next place. He stayed in the same place, consistent and persistent. 
He he dug a well. They filled it. He dug another one. He dug it. They filled that one. He dug another one. Nothing stopped him. Nothing phased him. He continued doing what he had to do. Yitzchak was a person who allowed consistency and persistence to be part of his life. But not only did he believe it, but he acted on it. He wasn't just that he preached about the belief, but he also went about digging the well, showing he didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. A person who wakes up in the morning, goes to shul, prays, says modani, all the wonderful things. But every single morning he does it, it's still part of his struggle. That's one level. But then there's a level where the same way you brush your teeth, you say modani, you thank God. It becomes part, second nature of the individual. Yitzchak was a person who, what does it mean he dug wells? Not only did he literally dug wells, and this is where he became so much more successful than his father, was because of his consistency and he made it something part of the individual. He made it part of the routine of the person. And when there's consistency, that is greater than the biggest noise that you can make. Many years ago, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs gave a, a phenomenal talk by the annual conference of Shulchan. They just had... And just, that was just last night. Yeah. So the one yeah. that was about 10 years ago, I was there, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs gave Amazing. a phenomenal speech about his relationship that he had with the Rebbe. And he said that when he was a young student out of Cambridge, he was a young student out of Cambridge, Jonathan Sachs, who just passed away last just, year, it was yeah. just his yard site uh, yeah. last week. Yes. He was the chief rabbi of England for many years, Lord Jonathan Sachs. He wrote about 40 books. He was a very amazing, great scholar. Amazing, So he was a young kid out of Cambridge. Didn't grow up in an observant household that much. And he was in college studying philosophy, and he had many questions. So they decided to take his questions to the greatest leaders of world Jewry. And the two leaders that he was going to go to was Rabbi Soloveitchik and to the Rebbe. He came to the Rebbe, and he came to, you know, and the Rebbe starts, and he asks all his questions to the Rebbe that he had. And then the Rebbe turns the table on him. He says the story. And the Rebbe asks him, you study in Cambridge? He said, yes. How many Jewish students are there in Cambridge? He says, I don't know. He gives a number. He says, what are you doing for the Jewish students in Cambridge? He says, at that moment, the Rebbe transformed him from a student to a leader changed him from a pupil to a teacher. He automatically realized, and in fact, the interesting thing is that he, the Rebbe, he went up a little further. He started like saying, like, who am I? He says, the situation that I'm in right now, this is what he starts telling the Rebbe, the situation that I'm in right now, it doesn't allow me. The Rebbe looks at him and says, what do you mean the situation that you're in right now? You're not in this situation where you are in a place it's because God put you there. God put you in that place is because you have an objective, you have a job to do. And your job is to influence the Jewish students in Cambridge. And he said, that moment the Rebbe took me from a student that made me a teacher. And that's where he got his whole agenda from later on. This is what exactly what Yitzchak was about. You can have a person can come up and give the most prolific speech, the most beautiful sermon, the most inspiring talk. But if it doesn't lead with action, means nothing. Avram was about the beautiful sermon. Avram was about giving that unbelievable speech that he transformed people to saying, okay, we believe. But did they do it? The moment he died, the energy was gone. So Judaism 
is very much one of the big precepts about Judaism is not what you're thinking. Is not it's only what you're right, thinking. Right, but it's actually. Correct, and that's what Yitzchak brought about. That's why Yitzchak is one that was a little more successful than his father Abraham. Because imagine you have a salesman that tells you about a product, but then there's a salesman that shows you try the product. Which one are you more likely to buy? The one that you can try the product. Yitzchak was about trying the product. Yitzchak was over here saying, well, if you notice the difference as well, and they both had children that weren't behaved the best. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Abraham and Yishmael, Yitzchak had Esau. But Yitzchak had a relationship with Esau. Well, Abraham had to chase Yishmael out of his house. Right? Yitzchak had Esau in his house. Why? Because Yitzchak and Esau were discussed in debate that Yitzchak thought that he can uplift Esau. Because he felt that he had some type of connection, even to the furthest Jew, whomever maybe. Yitzchak taught us about digging wells. What digging wells means, what do you do in order to get water, what do you have to do? You have to dig deep. It's not on the surface you don't see it. You gotta dig and dig and dig, and then you find fresh water. But how, how do you dig? If I say, okay, today I dug, I didn't find anything. You're not gonna get anywhere. You need to have that consistency, that persistency to be able to dig deep, and then you'll find the water. This is exactly what the Torah is telling us. That in every single one of our lives, we can have the Avram, we can have the fanfare, we have the excitement, or you have the practicality, the consistency of Yitzchak. And therefore Yitzchak is the one that the Judaism stuck and continued with the Jewish people from Yitzchak. is because Yitzchak was the one that was able to take the ingenuity of the individual, the ingenuity of the person, and get them to understand and perceive godliness, not from the way they're being taught, but from the way they're acting. Not only the way to believe, but also to do. And because of that, it made a more of a lasting impression. The same idea we have, the whole concept, when we look at the world around us and educating our children. There's different ways I want to educate. You can walk home and give your children the greatest speech. It goes in one ear, out the other if you're lucky. But if you come home and you act in a certain way, that will give them the greater message. And this is exactly what you speak about. Not saying that Avram didn't act that way. But Avram, because he was so revolutionary, he didn't have the opportunity to act that way. And therefore, every time he dug a well, he was happy he got the fresh water. If it was spilled afterwards, it didn't bother him. Yitzchak was about the persistency. It didn't work here, I'll dig another one. But I'll go down and deeper and deeper until I finally get to that moment that I can get the same. And that's why, what did we say before? He dug wells, but he made it in the same names that his father gave him meaning he was consistent in the message of his father. He didn't deviate from the message of his father, but recognized that in order for me to get that message now to the next generation, they got to act on it as well. And that was Yitzchak's advantage that he had. This is what we look about many years as Jewish history goes along. We look about Jewish history today. We're not being, anti-Semitism is yes, but it's nothing like it was 60, 70 years ago. We live in a country where we can practically live as Jews, as we wish, the way we wish, where we wish. But because of that, unfortunately, we get sunk into our normal activity and we don't realize the pressing moment and the need to be transformative. Avram lived in a time of absolute anti-Semitism, so to speak. Everybody was against him. He was called Ivri. He was on one side, everybody was on the other. So therefore, what did he have to do? He had to make a fanfare, make noise and everything else. 
But then Yitzchak came along when things were a little more settled. They got to know who Avram is, what his thing's about. He says, now our job is consistency. Now our job is not necessarily to create fan fears. Yes, that's also good. We should never be ashamed of who we are. But we need to have that consistent reminder that we are part of God's nation and consistently do what God asks of us, especially in the activity and doing action. Yitzchak's about the action. That's what the everlasting message is. So when we take what we believe and put it into action, automatically that will have an enduring effect, not only for this generation, for generations to come. Think about it. What do you remember from your grandparents being Jewish? Was it their belief? Was it their preaching? Was it their sermon? Or that they lit Shabbos candles? Or that they did make something for Yom Tov? Or the way they celebrated the holiday? What we remember and what we can give over to the next generation is more importantly is not only about our belief system, but is the action that we take because of our belief system. And that was Yitzchak. Dug the well so that the next generation should be able to see what he has. Using Abraham's vision, but at the same time, that consistent, actual subservience. You go to, you know, you, in order to get the shul to pray, to, you need your feet. Maybe only your feet. But you need your feet to be able to get there. It was an interest, I'll finish with this story. There was this charismatic teacher. For many years, he was an absolute wonderful teacher. And all of a sudden, he had to, uh, I don't know what he had, but he wasn't able to um, walk anymore. And he had to be down to a wheelchair. And he was very depressed about the fact that he can't go back to the classroom the way he was used to. And he wrote a letter to the Rebbe about his situation, how he was very depressed about this. And the Rebbe responded to him and said, what do you think a teacher is? The knowledge that you're importing? No. It is the example that you're living for them. And that you can do even out of the classroom. And this is the message that every single one of us, for our children and for generations to come, it's the example that we set, the person that we are, the action that we take, that's going to make the difference and actually make and change and make something in this world. You mentioned Soloveitchik before.